0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, We, uh, uh, hold on. Got to disinfect PETA toxic up here. Um, I'm not making light. We've been wiping this thing down all day. Uh, Hey, thanks for joining us online. Uh, I'm going to start off a little differently than than normal. Uh, I'm going to try to tell a really bad joke, um, and it's got really bad theology in it. I just want you to don't, don't judge. Don't set your doctrine on the doctrine of this joke, but it's just kind of fun. A friend of mine uh, this week stopped in and talking about golf, and uh, I'm trying to figure out some way to segue into the next thing I want to say, so I'm going to use golf as that. So there's a pastor that uh, Woke up early one Sunday morning, and he he had seen the weather forecast the day before, and realized it was going to be quiet and crisp, and not real warm, but not not real windy. And uh, so he decided he needed a day off. So he called his vice chair of consistory and and kind of pretended to cough on the phone, like I can't pray. come in today. I have no voice. <laughs> He told him that he had his uh, sermon printed up. It was on his desk, and asked the elder if he would be willing to to take the sermon and read it before the congregation that day. And he then hopped in his car with his clubs, and he drove forty minutes away, so he was not going to run into anyone he knows. and And he 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 teed off, and. And this is the bad theology part. Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit are up in heaven and looking down and Jesus, the Son, looks at the Father and says, this is a man that's supposed to proclaim your gospel to the people that you've called him to serve. And he called in sick and he's not sick and now he's out playing golf. What are you gonna do? And the Father looks at the Son and says, I got this. First hole kind of goes pretty well and you know he lands in the fairway and I don't know if he parted or not, but he gets a couple of holes in and, and the Son is getting a little agitated talking to the Father like, I thought you said you got this. They could just hang on. And so he comes up to the first hole, or the first part three. And it's, I think at Diamond Springs, I don't remember the name of the, the number of the hole. I wanna say seven, but that's probably not right. But it's got this, what, five? Twelve. 12. And it's got this big gully. And I mean, if you don't get the right length, it's gonna go all the way down and you're automatically, you're, now you're on the tee box, you've got a three. But this guy, he tees it up and he sends it over and it goes about 10 feet beyond the pin, dead on. But 10 feet behind the pin, he had the perfect backspin on it, came back, it tinked the pin and fell in. And he's elated. And Jesus turns to the father. Are you kidding me? A hole in one? He's supposed to be proclaiming the word about me. And the father goes, who's he going (laughs) to tell? All right. Only reason I tell you that is because trying to figure out some way to tell you a very brief story. 1993, um, I'm feeling a little whiny. Uh, I was a youth pastor at the time, and um, we had a we had one kid, Elise was had she's seventeen or eighteen months, and and uh, Cam was on the way. He would be born in January. This in the fall, and I went to play golf with a one of my youth elder at the time, and uh, we we're out at Winding Creek, and we're playing uh, on the on the red over there, the red nine, and as we're talking, I. Hey, this is a great time to bring up the fact that, you know, I, I could use a raise because, you know, between the mortgage and the electricity and the heat and all that stuff, you know, we had about $100, $140 a month to kind of live on. And I start talking about it and, and he, he, he laid into me. Now, I'm not saying he, he laid into me how, how he said it was right, but everything he said was true. And that day I ended up painting our living room that night in our first house. And, and the next night, uh, Sunday night, I was giving my first message ever in a church our second message ever in a church, but the first one in that church. And I gotta tell you that while painting after that conversation and him laying into me and painting in my living room and having nothing to do but think, and all the way through the next day, I can tell you this, that I learned more from thinking about what that man said than I learned in all the preparation of scripture. Uh, for that message. The reason I'm telling you that is this, this man is a good friend of mine, still is today. In fact, if you've heard me ever use these words in our community here, that it's not just who we are, but whose we are, that comes from this man. He's the one that first quoted that to me and I thought it was amazing. So he's a good friend. And the thing about good friends is that good friends are able to say things to you that you might not want to hear, but that you need to hear. Now, I'm not telling you this because this is a pokey message that I'm gonna tell you something that you don't wanna hear, but you should hear. I'm telling you this because Jesus in this passage tells us that we are his friends and no greater friend could you have than the God of the universe. So he's gonna say some things to the people of the time that they didn't wanna hear, but they needed to hear. And he says the same thing to us. He's telling us things that we might not want to hear, but that we need to hear. Some things that are true, some things that are holy, some things that are what God want us to know. So I'm gonna offer prayer and then we'll read the passage. And I'll give you a little bit, bit of background for the passage before we get into it, but um, let's, pray, let's pray together. Almighty God, you are God and we are not. And we are so thankful because if we were in charge, this whole world would be in nothing but a panic. It's scary and it's easy for any of us to go there, to go dark, to let concern turn to anxiety and anxiety to turn to fear and fear to panic. It would be easy for us to completely isolate ourselves and to lose our trust in you. But you tell us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You tell us to run with perseverance the race you've marked out for us. You tell us to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because you, the one who promised, is faithful. So Lord, we're gonna do that. We're gonna hang on to you. We're gonna trust that you know better than we do. And we're gonna trust that this too shall pass. Lord, I wanna speak your word to your people today. You know, I was telling Lynn last night that I didn't have the time that I would normally have because I found out I was preaching just on Friday. And uh, so Lord, I, I am more dependent on you today than ever before. So I want my thoughts to be your thoughts and my words to be your words. And if there's something I have planned to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. But Lord, if there's something in addition to what I plan to say that is from you, that you want said to your people, I will speak them. Just make it clear that it's from you. Join us, be blessed by this and send your word out. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to see and hear and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, and for His sake, and for Your glory, we pray. Amen. Now, Jesus uses a, a a term here right at the beginning of John chapter fifteen, verse one. He says that I am the true vine. And just so you know, what the he, original hearers heard, the Old Testament Israel always saw themselves as the vine, themselves as the vine, and. Uh, If you want to read about it, if you have um, your first generation iPad, you want to write something down here. Um, Hosea chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter two, Ezekiel chapters 15, 17, and 19, and Psalm 80 all refer to Israel as the vine. Uh, It was such an important deal that people wanted to associate themselves with being the vine that inside of one of the gates coming into Jerusalem near the temple, there was a particular wall where people would take gold and they would hire artisans or they would craft it themselves and they would make grapes or they would make sticks or, or, or branches and they would put them up onto the this wall so that there's just honest, not just gold-plated stuff, but actual gold. There's a legend that says that one of these clusters of grapes was the size of a man. It was, it was so ingrained into their identity that they saw themselves as that which provides fruit and sustenance to the world, the people of God. But if you read those passages from Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel in the Psalms, You'll see that often when the scripture talks about the people of God as the vine, it's, it's a negative because they are not bearing fruit. We have to have that mindset, that idea in our minds when we hear what Jesus says. And it reads like this John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine. It's the last of the I am statements in John. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He prunes, he prunes, excuse me, Bears no fruit. He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now we're gonna read more in a minute here, but a couple of things to think about. Number one, the difference between cut off and prune. I mean, because something falls to the ground no matter what you do. Uh, I, I, I know, I'm not a horticulturalist. I'm not even a gardener. I, I, I know how to prune on our willow tree. I know how to prune off the little shoots that come off the, the trunk. And I know in our maple tree in our front yard, when the, the, the limbs, the boughs get so weighted with leaves, they start to hang down. And when I am mowing my lawn and I have to duck, I know I have to go prune those off. And I know how far back to go. I understand that there's these little growth, growth rings. And if you're gonna prune something so it doesn't kill it, you cut right after one of those rings. And with a grapevine, um, pruning is a little bit different, uh, th- because the difference between pruning at the beginning of a season and, and cutting off, it's about this big, it's about that much because as the, as the branch comes off the vine, there's a, there, there's about a couple of inches, uh, before that first little kind of growth ring. And my understanding of it is that when people prune back a rosebush or a fruit tree or a grapevine, they, they prune it back so that when the, when the nourishment comes up from the ground and the, uh, the, the plant starts to, to push out its energy into its extremities. The reason for pruning is so that it's not meant to grow new branches longer, but to put all of the energy and the nourishment of the plant into producing buds and flowers and fruit, depending on the type. So when Jesus says, any branch in me that bears no fruit will be cut off. If something is cut off, let's say I cut off a branch off of my maple tree and I sit it over by the yard waste container. Now it could be green, not this time of year, but it could have green leaves all over it. If I lay it down over there, is it ever gonna produce another leaf? Is it ever gonna, ever gonna grow any longer? Of course not, but that's because I cut it off and put it aside. But if something is already dead, if there's a branch already dead on a you know off the trunk of the tree, it's already not producing leaves, it's already not producing any fruit, it's already not making those little helicopters. So Jesus is saying, it seems to me that it would be better to be pruned than cut off. If you're dead, you're done. If you're alive and you're bearing fruit, even more fruit he wants to produce from you. Now, how do we do that? How how does it work? Well, he goes on to explain it. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If 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 a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that, that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and burned. If, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. It's pretty amazing. If, you, if we honestly think about what Jesus just said, if Jesus, and he is, if he is God with skin on, if he is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one that spoke light into being, that brought order from chaos, if he's the one that, that spoke to Adam and said, live, if he's the one that awakened you this morning, If he, and he is, but if he is the God of the universe that sustains all things through his word that goes out from his mouth, that God would say, you are his friend. Blows me away. And we might become so confident with it and so comfortable with it that that we start losing it. But have you ever had a friend? I I got a couple, Um, you ever had a friend that you're blown away that they consider you to be their friend? I mean, there, there's always the people that you're like, oh yeah, if, 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 if I could just, if they would just be my friend, if they would just be friendly with me, that, but there's something to be said when someone that you really respect, you really honor, that you really, you really kind of pursue a relationship with when they reciprocate when they call you when they're in need, when they speak difficult words to you that you need to hear, when they risk their relationship to make sure that you know that you matter to them. Imagine the concept of the God of the universe saying to you that you matter so much to him that he's gonna tell you his business. He's gonna tell you what he's doing. He's gonna tell you how you can do it. And he's gonna make sure that you're not left alone in order to accomplish that which he set in advance for you to do. That is, that is phenomenal that God calls you friend. And when Jesus is talking, he's talking, he's saying some difficult things to the people of God, the people that believe that they are the vine. And if that were true, if the people of God were the vine and, and, and God is just the gardener, um, but the Jesus, if Jesus isn't the vine, but the people of God are the vine, then remaining in the church and remaining in the people of God, remaining gathered is what is most important. But here Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Remain in me. So it's about remaining in Jesus. It's about remaining connected to him it's about letting him perpetually cleanse us so that we can become not who we were but who he wants us to be not to, to live up to what we've already attained in christ if you think about it like this when he says he says you are already clean because of the words i have spoken to you the word already clean those words in the greek and the words for pruning are very similar in fact, we're pretty sure that John is making a play on words there, but, but think about it. Those of you old enough, and I'm sorry, the little, the younger ones, I, I know that all of your schooling, I doubt there's even chalkboards or whiteboards in your classrooms. Anymore. It's been a long time since I've been in a school, but when I was a kid, we had, we, we had chalkboards. And that is these little pieces, these little white sticks and sometimes color sticks. And every now and then, Mr. Reinick, when he would do it, he'd go, eh, oh. Very irritating. But I got in trouble one day. I was out at recess in fifth grade playing football and we're supposed to be playing two hand touch, two below the waist. And I just just like to win. Um, So I was tackling. So I got in trouble. And I had to stay after school to clean the chalkboards. Now, Mr. Ronick would, he would write on the board and then he would use his eraser and there'd be the dust and he'd get a little dust on his hands. And he always seemed to have a little bit right here just on his, on his pants because he was always kind of wiping his hands off. Um, but so he would write and he would erase, he would write and he would erase and you would look at that board and you could still tell that something had been written there before. But I had to, after school, he gave me this spray-on stuff and I had to spray and I was in fifth grade. I, I mean, I was so... Small and skinny, you could drink it drink tomato juice, I'd look like a thermometer. This tiny little guy, and I had to climb up on a chair to really spray this down and wipe it off. But when I got done wiping it off, you could not tell that anything had ever been written on that board before. And that is what Jesus is saying when he's saying that you hear me, the word of God goes out and it accomplishes that which he sent it to do. You're already been wiped clean. Every sin, every regret, everything you've done wrong, everything you should have done differently, everything that, that you, you look back and you go, oh, I wish, I wish, I wish, that's all gone. Now, you don't have to figure out what to do, how to do it and where to go on your own now the Holy Spirit of God, this whole section of John, John 14, 15, 16, and into 17, is called the farewell discourse. That's when God, Jesus telling his disciples, look, I'm leaving and it's good that I'm going because I'm sending you a Holy Spirit, a counselor, a paraclete, one who's gonna live in you, not just direct and walk alongside of you. So we're told that Jesus says, you remain in me and I'll remain in you. Everything changes right there. It's no longer that we're dependent upon other people to be connected to God. We can be co- connected directly to God. And not only that, but God is connected directly to us. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things about that. It's hard to figure out. I'm, I'm 54 years old now, I think I just turned 54. <laughs> My journey with remaining in Christ and hearing from him and experiencing him is very different than Lynn's, which is, my wife Lynn is sitting right here, which is very different than Pastor Kurt, which is very different than Pastor Greg. Um, What is comforting to me is not the same kind of thing. that We just had an example this morning. Pastor Kurt gave an example of, of, of God kind of speaking something to him. And he went, oh yeah, that's it. And Lynn hears it and goes, Are you sure that was God? Because it didn't sound like a nice thing. But to Kurt, it landed because God has wired Pastor Kurt a certain way and given him a certain personality and a certain set of traits and a certain way of hearing God. Lynn has an intimacy with God and a a, a romance with Jesus like no one I know. And so I I gotta tell you that that it doesn't work the same for everybody. But what Jesus is saying very clearly is this, you remain in me, And I will remain in you. He knows you. And you know him. It's not who you are that's important anymore. It's whose you are. And because you're his friend, he wants you to know what he's doing. And these are scary times. I watched a sermon last night from Robert Morris from Gateway Church, and I believe it's outside of Dallas. Normally they have um, 35,000 people at their church sites on a weekend. And yesterday he was preaching and it was him and his wife and one worship leader. And so he's speaking to a camera just like I am. And he talked about what God is doing through their church and it just confirmed in me what I'm seeing. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be prophetic here, but, it, but God is pruning. He's not cutting the church off. He's pruning us. And he's asking us to be faithful, to remain in him, to trust him, and to understand that he knows the future we don't. He's pr- he, why, does, why, does a, why does a gardener prune to make it even more fruitful? Why is the gathered church scattered all around homes right now, all around the world? I have no idea, but I'm confident in this, that he who began a good work in the church will carry it on to completion. There's no doubt in my mind at all that God is pruning the church because he has something even better in store for her and for the world. There are millions of people around this world that do not know that God is God. They do not know that God is good and they do not know that they're loved by God and that God will call them friends. And we move moved from, a, in, in my lifetime, we move moved from what's known as a Christian era to a post-Christian era, and we're now in a pre-Christian era. And that means that we are more ripe, this world is more ripe for the harvest than, than we've seen in probably a couple of thousand years. Now, we will get through this. I don't know how. I don't know if it'll be med- medical, if it will be some miracle or some combination there. I have no idea. But I do know that humanity has, has walked through much worse things than this. The Black Death in Europe took out one third of the population on that that continent. The smallpox, do the research and look at over the course of about 2000 years, how many people are estimated that smallpox killed. We have a terrible pandemic going on and I'm not gonna belittle it. I'm also not gonna give it any glory, but I do know this. 396 times in the scriptures, in the old King James Version, God says this this phrase, and it came to pass. He never says it came to stay. It came to pass. This too shall pass. When? I have no idea. But what is God doing? I'm absolutely convinced he's doing something new and something better and something bigger. One of our elders said the other day um, when he was leaving a, a, a staff, staff and uh, an elder meeting, an executive team meeting, he said that, God has collected the people of earth in a way that he's never collected a people, the people of earth together before. We are both more disconnected than we've ever been before, but we are more connected by apps like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, just the internet itself, just YouTube itself. There are more people connected in some way that can share their thoughts, their ideas, and even what God is doing in one spot than ever before in all of humanity. You think God doesn't wanna use that for his purposes? Do we really believe that God is gonna abandon us, those of us who are called by his name? We are told those of us that are called by his name to humble ourselves, confess our sin and pray and he will heal our land and he will heal our land if we remain in him. How do you do that? Be quiet, turn off the noise, read what he tells you. He says, if you love me in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. So how do I know what he commands? Unless I seek to find it out. See, God wants us to understand that every day he's with us and every day he will encourage us. And when we need to, like a good friend will, he will tell us the things we need to hear even if they're things we don't wanna hear. But we do know the will of our father in heaven to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And what is that fruit? Well, the fruit, not the fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit. And I always get them out of order, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I miss one? I got them all. All right, I always always mix them up, but they're there. And it's actually, I'm using the wrong verbiage. They aren't fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of all of those things. So how do you know if you're remaining in Christ? You will be more loving, patient, kind, gentle and faithful. You'll have even more self-control. So when you get frustrated or when that dark part of you starts to, to well up and you go from concerned to anxious, to fearful, to panic, when you get to that anxious part, stop and look at God and not at you. Read the countenance on God's face. Is he worried? Is he concerned? Is he scared? Is he panicked? Are the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sitting up at the breakfast table going, what are we gonna do? Of course not. He holds the future in his hand. He holds the present in his hand. And he holds the past in his hand. God knows what is going on. And he wants us to participate in what he wants to do next. So will you join him Will you remain in him? Will you love him? And will you do what he asks? Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I hope so, because God is your friend and you are his. It's not just who you are, it's whose you are. Let's pray. Lord, that silly kind of bad joke Like, who's he gonna tell? Because he can't let anyone know what he had done. I think, Lord, you ask us the same question. Who are you gonna tell? Because we have the best news on the planet. We have hope for humanity. And so, Lord, I ask that you give us courage to speak it, both in word and deed. That this new thing that you're planning to do, this pruning that you're doing so that even more fruit will be produced through us, I pray that you give us indicators along the way that we can continue to trust it and give us little peaks and little glimpses of what you're doing next so that we can be anxious to follow your lead instead of anxious for what the future holds. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of the spirit of God that lives within us for the glory of God, our father, amen.